You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Eleanor Rust, Marketing Director at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation and music technology. If you've been listening for a while, you know, we also hold an annual music innovation conference. After two pandemic years of online and hybrid events, our 2022 conference will take place in person and face-to-face October 25th through 27th in Santa Monica, California. That's Los Angeles's beachy neighbor if you're not familiar with Southern California. So on the podcast, we're doing a series on the stars of the 2022 Music Tectonics Conference. Now, these folks are star music innovators in their own right, but they're also star sponsors of this year's edition of the conference. All our sponsors are big thinkers and future-focused movers and shakers, and they sign on to sponsor in order to support the community that gathers at Music Tectonics. Later on in the show, Tristra New Year Jaeger, Music Tectonics host, will chat with Con Razo to find out about Tune Global and how they power music streaming for traditional services and emerging metaverse and Web3 innovators. But first... Tristra checks in with Nick Dahlquist, the CTO of Basenote, a startup with fresh ideas for fans investing in artists' future success. Take it away, Tristra. Music tech startup Basenote is changing the way music is financed by removing the middleman and going straight to the source, the fans. Through the Basenote app, Fans can purchase investments in their favorite artists, directly funding the creation of new music. But unlike donating, tipping, or crowdfunding, fans who invest are entitled to a portion of the artist's streaming royalties. Nick Dahlquist is my guest today, and he has a background in software engineering. Nick, your LinkedIn profile says you withdrew from Stanford to develop Snapchat for Android. How did that experience put you on a path towards music innovation at Basenote? Yeah, thanks, Trista. Um, super excited about um, the work that I did at Snapchat early on. Um, obviously, Snapchat has grown significantly since I first joined, and it was really exciting to be there building out the application that was loved by so many people. Um, I actually met my two other co-founders there, Mick and Mike, and um, we, we left Snapchat around uh, 2017, and super excited to be building the next big thing for music. And you know, Android builds, for those who haven't ever been involved in one, that's like not an easy task. Um, you know, music music royalty financing uh, may, may, may beat it in terms of complexity, but not by much. Yeah, especially back then, um, Android was very, very fragmented. It's gotten much better over the years, but um, when, when I was working on it, there was so many different devices and they all behaved slightly differently. Not, not the best thing to develop on. <laughs> so you have a unique perspective on the bigger picture. How would you describe this moment in time where music and technology intersect? So what are, what are you really feeling in our space and, and um, what things sort of keep you up at night? What things excite you and make you excited to go to work the next day? Yeah, I think that there's just so many different opportunities that we're just starting to explore. Um, I mean, on the, the crowdfunding side, there's been so much excitement around crypto and how that can allow for exciting new creative aspects. But there's really so much even in the Web2 space that we're really excited about. And then that's you know, not even touching on the, the new stuff that's just coming out. So we're talking about like generative media and how we can use technology to assist um, the music production process. That's another thing we're super excited about. Can you tell me a bit more about Basenote's model and how you foresee it meshing with some of these new formats, whether we're talking Web3, Metaverse, generative music? How are you thinking about that future and preparing for it? Absolutely. 
So with BaseNote, what we're trying to do is make it easier for artists to get off the ground, both in terms of their financing and their fan engagement. So when we talk to artists, and these are mostly um, developing and, and mid-level artists at this point, so around, uh, let's say, between 50,000 and 500,000 monthly listeners, um, they're often, they have an existing fan base and they're creating great music, but they're trying to figure out how do we get to the next level. And to do that, um, what we're providing them is the financing aspect. They can take $100,000, go tour, go record amazing new music videos, and really take it to the next level that resonates with the fans. And the other side is the fan engagement. Um, so if the fans are investing, they're super excited, super emotionally connected with that artist and actually have a stake in their success. So they can go promote the artist on social media, um, bring friends, hopefully, to the, the different concerts that are happening. And we're, we're super excited to get, off the, get that off the ground. And I'm curious how you decided on music as your next uh, big adventure. I mean, it's a tough industry and there's a lot of complexity, especially when we're talking about rights and royalties. Um, how did you decide that this was the next problem you wanted to tackle? Absolutely. So all three of the co-founders have been lifelong music lovers. Um, I would say I'm actually the, the least um, experienced in this space. So I, I'm just a music listener myself, don't have any um, music talent on the creation side. Um, but Nick and Mike, my other two co-founders, have been um, in bands and been thinking about the music industry for quite a long time, I think um, up to eight years at this point. So we were originally thinking about um, what's working in the music space, what's not working, how can we use technology to really improve those flows and make it better for both artists and fans. So where is BassNote right now on your development roadmap? What's next on the horizon? Absolutely. So we're pre-launched at this point. So the app is going public on September 15th. We've been doing a lot of um, internal testing in, in the private beta with the artists that we have and, and some of their fans. Um, so at this point, um, people are very excited. We have so much excitement from the artists. They, they definitely have a real need there on the finance side and the fan engagement side. And they're um, really looking forward to how the, the app rolls out. But we, we um, can't wait to see how it actually ends up in the hands of the fans. Gotcha. Can you walk me through how you're imagining the fan experience? Absolutely. So when you first open the app, um, we wanted to make it very content focused. So you open it up, you see a stream of different music and music videos from our partnered artists. You can play that in the app, similar music streaming app like YouTube or Spotify. Um, you can discover that music and hopefully when you find an artist that resonates with you, click into their profile and learn more about them. So we have integrations with their social media. Uh, you can see a little bit about what's going on on their Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and then obviously the core experience is what's happening on the investing side. So you can see their, how their listener numbers have trended over time. And you can um, play with our calculation tools to understand how much money you would make if they blow up, uh, if they stay at about the same level, et cetera, and kind of experiment with those scenarios. And then finally, if you're inclined to invest, um, you can link a bank account, place your investment through the app very easily. Um, really low, very low investment minimum. So you can invest as little as $10. Um, and obviously, you can go higher than that if you're inclined. And then as the artist is making royalties, you're receiving a share of that going forward. I was really intrigued just a second ago when you mentioned these calculators. I know they sound kind of super nerdy to get excited by calculators. But um, tell me a bit more about them and how you, how you created them. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think... One of the challenging parts is trying to make it approachable without being nerdy. So when we did a lot of user studies, um, originally we were trying to make it very, very abstract and not really um, 
trying to give the users too much complexity around what the numbers are happening there. And we heard a lot of feedback that the users want the option to be able to play with those numbers. Uh, maybe they won't in most cases, but there are definitely the power users out there that want to be able to experiment with scenarios. Um, so we built in some calculation tools into the app that allow you to play with if the artist makes X number of royalties and I receive Y dollars in returns. Um, and if I invest more, then the numbers change, et cetera. That's really cool. I think it's like mortgage calculators. Those kind of tools can really <laughs> know, be so fun, fun to play right? with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a middle-aged Midwestern person. I like, play to, <laughs> like to mess around with mortgage calculators. <laughs> so now we get to have um, some really, really fun time. This is my favorite, favorite part of every podcast interview when we get to ask um, my favorite question, which is, you know, let's get a little bit sci-fi here. Um, when do you, what do you imagine um, when you think of an ideal near future m music industry? What do you see? Like we're thinking near, f near future, let's just say 10 years. Um, you can talk about, you know, the, the royalty side of things, the financing side of things, or you can just go totally crazy and, um, you know, ambient music and um, <laughs> fully immersive experiences or wherever you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll focus on the royalty side. That's what our, our bread and butter is. So, Right now, as you know, um, most of the mainstream artists are working with labels and have those record contracts in place that provide them capital up front and provide them the resources they need to become successful. Um, our model is really trying to displace that and making a system where artists can go from being mid-level or developing artists and actually grow along the way being fully independent, uh, working with their, their partnered fans to receive the capital and then working with a network of artist service providers like independent studios, like promotion, um, distributors, et cetera, to really um, keep control over their masters and keep a larger share of the pie while distributing um, royalties to their fans. So we're really excited about that, kind of democratizing the music financing process and helping fans and artists grow together along the way. What do you think artists need to be thinking about now? So if I'm an emerging artist right this minute and I'm looking at this future where I may be able to self-finance or find capital myself for my projects and my career, what what do you think artists need to keep in mind as they prepare for that future? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of beating the dead horse because I think many artists already <laughs> know about this, but keep control of your masters. Be careful with the contracts you're signing. Make sure that you have... Um, clear terms on how long these things are going to last, make sure that you understand recruitment um, so you're not giving up your, your royalties for the long term. And uh, on, on the other sort of side, the investment side, on the fan side, um, what do you foresee happening with fan communities as fans or some fans choose to become investors and really dig into the, uh, the game, so to speak, of supporting their favorite artists and seeing if they can help aid in their success? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we're just trying to make it as seamless as possible. So hopefully you don't have to be thinking too much about the finance side of that. Um, I think going into the application, discovering music that resonates with you, and then hopefully supporting that artist along the way um, really is the, the experience we're striving for. Cool. Well, as we wrap up the speed round, um, what are you hoping to get out of Music Tectonics Conference this year, Nick? Absolutely. Well, I think it's um, it's in good proximity to our launch. So we're super excited to connect with more people, um, see how people react to the application, and then hopefully get, get many people, both artists and bands, excited for, for the app. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to hear more about uh, Bass Note and how the launch goes in October. Um, can't wait to meet you in person, Nick, and meet everybody else. Great. Thank you so much, Tristra. Thank you. Awesome, Tristra. 
Stick around after the break to meet Con Razo, co-founder and managing director of Tune Global. You might be thinking, why should you join these stars at Music Tectonics? I've got three answers to that question for each day of the conference. Day one, October 25th at the Santa Monica Pier Carousel. We've got a startup carousel demo day, a music tech carnival, and an opening party where you can meet everyone who's gathered for Music Tectonics. Then on day two, October 26th at the Low Santa Monica Beach Hotel, we've got a Beacons of Culture keynote with Mahan Zonuzi, head of innovation at Spotify. We've got high-powered panels and an innovator exhibit hall, and so much more. On day three, at Expert Dojo in Santa Monica, and a second exclusive venue we'll be announcing soon, you'll get insights from Media Research, Music Tech Dojo meetings, and you'll get to meet the Narwhal of 2022. Get your badge at musictectonics.com to be a part of it all. See you there. Now, back to Tristra. Welcome to the podcast, Con Rosso, Managing Director of Tuned Global. Tuned Global is the leading provider of streaming technology solutions, powering some of the world's most successful streaming services. They offer a one-stop shop for all your music, audio, and video streaming needs, providing white-label streaming apps, streaming service APIs, music content delivery, and licensor reporting. Hey, that was a big mouthful, but thanks, Con, so much for joining me. Yeah, no, great to be uh, together. I really appreciate um, the opportunity to talk a little bit about ourselves and what's actually happening in the industry. So you are co-founder as well as managing director of Tuned Global. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into this crazy business? What's your background and how did you found this company? Yeah, really uh, backgrounds around technology. So it's always been a, a focus and a passion around I'm going to say general technology and how do you deliver something really interesting to people. So, you know, that emerged through, I guess, the e-commerce phase of the 2000s. And we ended up uh, having a company that was producing, uh, as funny as it sounds these days, robotic CD duplication and things like that. And from there, we started to see where the market was emerging. And I think it's a little bit like the times right now where we're sort of moving from web two to web three. At that time, it was really moving um, from a download model to a streaming model. And we started to look at those opportunities and and build relationships with uh, major labels here in Australia. And uh, we identified that, you know, the the streaming services could be... could be something that really changed the market here in this country. So at that time, together with uh, EMI, we started to create the first streaming service for a telco in Australia, which was for uh, a telco called AAPT. And um, and really, I guess, I'm going to say, learned a lot about streaming and other parts of the industry through that process. So... Um, you know, it was, it was a really interesting time, but we were able to jump from there into lots of different, um, eventually countries, um, continents, and today, you know, we're truly global in terms of what we do. So the technology to provide uh, streaming media is complex, but it runs alongside an equally, if not, dare I say, more complex world of licensing. How do you balance those two sides of the business and make sure that you're you know, delivering quality in both aspects? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, licensing is obviously, you know, I'm going to say the most critical here in terms of respecting people's rights and, uh, you know, and rights are incredibly complex. You know, it's not just obviously for people who are perhaps newer to the music space, it's not just obviously uh, who performed the song, which might be the master rights, but who wrote the song, uh, is it being performed publicly and all these other items that really contribute to those rights. So it's, you know, it, it, it is a really complex system. I don't think it is easy to deliver something, especially when it's global in that way. So you have to deliver a very different experience for maybe one of our clients when they've got a US customer versus when their customer's coming out of somewhere in Europe. So. You know, at a technology level, it is complex, but I think at a negotiation level, it's even more complex to be able to do. And I, from our perspective, you know, we often bring in a number of experts in that field to help clients navigate that space and understand what what licensing do I need to be able to provide a streaming service. You know, I think when you get to Web3, it only becomes more complicated. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and, and we can cover that. But I, I think, um, you know, the Web3 is in a lot of ways a brave new world. And I think there isn't a lot of precedent set in the models. And so it does, you know, I, I'd expect that that's going to change uh, over time. But, but right now, you do need to be prepared uh, for making sure that you're able to, first of all, understand what rights do you need and then bring people on board who can help you navigate that process. I don't think it's really possible to do on your own. So if I have, a, say I'm a, a, an entrepreneur and I have a great startup yeah. idea that involves streaming media or specifically streaming music, maybe it's not Web3, maybe I'm still just going to try something in Web2 or mobile. Yeah. How, what should I expect from the process of negotiating these rights? What should I look for? How much time should I, uh, bar, you know, should I, should I budget yeah. for? What should I be thinking about when I come to you and your team and want to set something up? Yeah, I, I think I think it first starts off from what your what your idea is because often people, you know, their first um, premise is I need all the music in the world in every country in the world, <laughs> and that you know that that, that that's because we're so passionate about the ideas we sort of go straight to that point, but we would say with our clients, what's going to differentiate you? What's your point of difference in the market? And you really want to start from that uh, place first because it will start to be clear what sort of music you're after. And you may not be after everything. We power a lot of niche services. And so they may be niche in terms of genre. They may be niche in terms of often in emerging markets and focusing on local artists and local repertoire. So that really changes the scope first. So I think that's stage one. I think stage two is to take a really realistic look at your business model. And maybe uh, I'm going to say, you know, it, it's that glass half full approach. Don't just don't make it overflowing. So be pretty realistic in what term, what you're going to be able to do. Because I think ultimately that helps you understand how much money you can invest in the process of licensing. And just to make sure that you're able to be realistic again in that process. 
I think once you've got those pieces in place and, and, and we help companies navigate that space to at least understand what should I be putting together, the next, the next item is then to potentially bring in some professionals that can start to work through what rights you need, especially if it's dealing with the major labels and major publishers in the markets. And so that they're really able to present your idea in a way that uh, makes sense to these rights holders. And I think often the person who's got the idea is not necessarily presenting it in a way that makes sense to the rights holder. And it's making sure that that translation is there. Because if if the rights holders are on board with what you're trying to do, I think the navigation becomes easier. In terms of time, gosh, that's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> mean question there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. how long does it take? It really does depend on your idea. Has there been precedent set to your idea? Is there, um, and, and so that could be from, we've seen it as uh, as short as just a couple of months in, in the extreme to certainly taking over 12 months. So I think you have to be prepared to get into licensing early. Don't leave it as the last item, bring it in early in terms of what you're trying to do. Excellent advice. And I bet that advice is even more salient as we start to think about Web3 and these novel business models, new ways of presenting music, um, you know, music embedded in all sorts of experiences and immersive um, video, that kind of thing. Um, tell us a bit about what trends and influences you feel are, are strongest right now as you look at the world of music in the metaverse and, or in some of these new formats and experiences. Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly, you know, I guess in in my humble opinion, I reckon, I think is, I was going to be very Australian there and say I reckon, right? Uh, that's but, okay. Uh, we see that I, in America uh, too. <laughs> I think, um, I think um, it is, the technology is really shaping um, music experiences and Web3 is still in its very, very early stages in what's happening around the world, how people are interacting, certainly in metaverse experiences, but it's growing. And I think it's really similar to, you know, I mentioned that telco service that we first did, mm -hmm. and it was really an unusual telco service in that it provided streaming, but it also provided $50 of downloads for users per month because people understood downloads, but didn't understand streaming. And we look at that these days and we scratch our head and say, well, why do I want the downloads? And I think Web 2 and Web 3 is similar to that, that we're in this stage where people are transitioning or perhaps not even beginning really a large scale transition. I think Web 3 is mainly Web 3 natives at this stage, but it's moving to become broader and broader. And so the technology, we're seeing certainly from answering your question about the, what's I guess, making the most noise out there. We are still seeing a lot of traditional services um, wanting to get going. Um, certainly uh, that may be a bit more niched uh, in the market, but we're also uh, seeing a lot of people come to us um, and also rights holders speaking about Web3. And Web3 can be from really novel, 
initially, I think it was about traditional NFT experiences. So we were, uh, you know, mostly people were trying to actually build NFTs, mostly not at scale, mostly one-offs, and it was all around rare ability, you know, uh, of that NFT and, I guess, speculative value of that NFT. I think that's changing at the moment, and we're seeing a lot more that are being built around tokens that have utility. So what can you actually do or give to someone that actually creates an engaged relationship, usually between the artist and the fan? And how do you extend that relationship? And I think technology really has the power to impact that relationship in a big way. So can I engage with a fan? Can I get the fan some sort of token that's got some value? And then over the lifetime with that fan, how can I continue to engage with them in a meaningful way do drops against those tokens, give them access to potentially both virtual and real concerts and virtual and real experiences. Um, can I create metaverse experiences? And in those metaverse experiences, start to gamify those experiences, bring in items such as, you know, uh, proof of entry tokens. Can I actually bring in items such as wearables into there and make it a lot more fun in what I'm doing? but host concerts in that metaverse um, area as well. And so we're working a lot with um, the metaverse architects. And I think that's a really different way of thinking and um, understanding what actually engages users in the metaverse and keeps them engaged. And then using our technology to be able to provide music experiences within that metaverse. So. Those music experiences might be a shared experience if you're in, you know, a location in the metaverse with a few of your friends, or they can um, be individual experiences or concept type experiences. So they really vary what they are. But, you know, at the, I guess, um, grassroots to that, you need both the technology and the cleared music to be able to do that. And I think our um, experience is being able to provide both those items in a system that is already, I'm going to call it a tokenized system, is how our system works. So, uh, you know, we often call ourselves Web3 ready, and it's from the way that we really interact with what we consider to be a user in our system and building a profile of that user and, and things like that. Cool. So now we get to have a little bit of fun and get a little sci-fi. When you imagine an ideal near future music industry, what do you see? Since we're talking about Web3, you can go in a totally different direction. You can talk about music instruments, yeah. live experiences. We don't have to get stuck in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sort of, I, if I looked at the future, I think, you know, if I was going to make a broad statement and I, I, I wish I was this clever to really understand what the future is going <laughs> to look like. Yeah. But I would, I would say, though, broadly, it's better access. It's better revenue for artists. It's better experiences and connection. And I guess from a Web3 perspective, I would say interoperability. So how do I take an experience from one metaverse environment to another metaverse environment, which you know, is something being worked on, but is not quite there yet, um, which would make it easy. But you know, I think Web2 brings music to the masses, right? And it's always been able to do that. And um, But with Web3, you can actually create something that is so much closer to the user and the artist. So I think if we look at the future, it's very much going to be around 
a much more immersive experience. You know, it, will it be me wearing a VR headset? Could be in its early stages. I'd love to be really, you know, different. And I guess let's think Blade Runner and actually say let's get rid of those <laughs> headsets. Yes. And be, and, and I, you know, I, I think that's going to be driven by technology and those mm. things are happening right at the moment. Still a little, little way off, but hopefully in the next few years we'll start to see those experiences. And I think that really then shapes the way that we consume music in that space. But I think in terms of when I say access, I do think the access models, and I'm going to bring in Web3 again, but when I bring in Web3, I, I'm thinking more of at its root level of blockchain necessarily more maybe than metaverse and, mm -hmm. and other items. In terms of how can artists engage in a much more granular level with various services that are making their music available or with their own experiences that they're doing in the metaverse. And, um, and that could be about, in my opinion, how they're actually creating their music on the blockchain. How are they maybe fractionalizing their rights or, you know, if an artist is struggling financially, can they actually bring some of their revenue forward through fractionalized rights and doing elements like that? Can we make it more transparent, especially on the publishing side, to understand how I license products by using elements that are occurring in the blockchain? For me, they're the fundamentals that really change the way music will be consumed in the future. And we have so many companies and individuals that come to us with just awesome ideas, but they often fall over in this stage. So I think when I think of the future and a near ideal music industry, it's getting those things to be more transparent, to be able to, um, I guess, have people bring ideas to light without all the barriers that are in there at the moment. And, uh, and we're working at that. Um, but it's a, uh, it, you know, it's a process uh, in terms of that. Yeah, uh, it's going to take a village, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a big exactly. global village. <laughs> so as we wrap up this speed round, what are you hoping the Tune Global team will get out of the Music Tectonics Conference this year? You know, I'm, I'm a real believer that the sum of the parts are better than the individual. Mm -hmm. And so... For, for me, it's really about ideas and getting around other people and other companies that have really interesting ideas that are being put into the market. And then how do we potentially contribute that, to those ideas to make something better? So, you know, I'll give you an example of that. You know, I was recently at a at Sandbox conference in London and it was just over some drinks later on that I've got a pet, bit of a pet project in music that a little bit secret for now, but we'll let you know as soon as we can, <laughs> hopefully. And, and it was through that sideways conversation about what we were trying to do that it led to connecting with other people and some people in government about how we can actually do something really interesting for certain communities. And, you know, you don't get that by necessarily... Uh, 
by not interacting with others. So for me, that the conference is really that opportunity to hear what other people are doing, but also connect and say, how do we actually do something really interesting together? It really is one of the best things about being alive. <laughs> so I'm excited to exactly. I'm excited to get to hopefully have an interesting conversation with you and with everybody listening in Santa Monica in October. Thanks so much, Conrasso, for speaking with me today. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.